Hey, here it is, January 2024. Hey. We're here. We're going to be talking today about tips for the gardening season. We're going to talk about seed swaps. And we just want to welcome all of you that come and listen to this podcast and participate with us. It's it's exciting to have another year before us. So for those of you that haven't met us before, I'm going to go ahead and introduce Joseph. Joseph Lofthouse is a sustenance market farmer. Landrace seed developer and author of the book, Landrace Gardening, Food Security Through Biodiversity and Promiscuous Pollination. And it is a good <laughs> book. Joseph adopted the principles of Landrace Gardening in response to the harsh growing conditions in a high altitude, short season desert garden. Instead of relying on expensive poisons, labor and materials to coddle the plants, he encourages genetic diversity, cross-pollination, and survival of the fittest, allowing the plants to adapt themselves to the current and ever-changing ecosystem, thus simplifying gardening and seed saving. Joseph loves eating, farming, swimming, hot springs, bird watching, running, <laughs> yoga, leggings, kilts, playing guitar, singing, and living habitually barefoot. Thank you, Holly. <laughs> so Holly Hansen, avid gardener, retired genealogist, author, like she's wrote 50 books or something, <laughs> an educator with more than 25 years experience in the field of genealogy and historical research. Holly has taken her research skills and applied them to landrace gardening, development of a food forest in her backyard and sharing her findings. Holly enjoys assisting others one-on-one, -on -one, whether in the garden, online or in the classroom. She loves growing her own food, mountain biking, hiking, strength training, spending time with family, especially her grandchildren, teaching them to recognize plants, both domestic and wild. She thrives on foraging food from the wild and inviting favorite species into her garden. Holly devotes time to education and learning new skills on a daily basis. I do. It's so fun. <laughs> I hear something, then I have to go. I, I mean, I love the internet because I can go dive deep and you learn the, you, you kind of learn the people you can trust uh -huh. over time, or you ask people you can trust to recommend someone else that, that they trust. And man, it's fast. I used to have this little saying that was instant gratification isn't quick enough, <laughs> but I can get more stuff than I can handle nowadays. So uh -huh. I don't use that one anymore. But I want to talk about the very first time we met for just a minute. Okay, that was the seed swap down in Ogden, Utah, Ogden. like three years ago, I think. Yeah, it's been three years. I can't believe it's been three years. And my friend, my friend Kim had, had sent me this little flyer, you know, digital flyer about the seed swap. And, you know, we meet up and do things together all the time. So I'm like, all right, I'm going. And I, I got down there and I called her. I'm like, hey, where are you? I'm here. She goes, oh, I'm not coming. <laughs> I'm like, What? Because I don't do, I'm a country girl from the high mountain desert and I don't, I don't go alone. I don't do things. I mean, I'm in the garden alone. Genealogy, it is really hilarious because these are lonely subjects, things that you do by yourself, uh -huh. but I don't go to town alone. You know, I don't do that. And um, so there I was and I was a little nervous, you know, but I walked in and I knew I wanted to find some corn seed. 
that I could grow in my cold climate because I really have a hard time getting corn to develop here. And tomatoes, I don't even, at that point, I didn't even try because tomatoes just always freeze. I never could get them to grow. So I'm walking around looking at things. I saw uh, Snake River, they were there. And I looked through the seeds and I read the little things on the back and I picked out these ones that would say would do good in the cold. You know, I'm looking for things that would do good in my area. So I picked out a few seed packets there. And then I, I don't know, I was so brave. And I went and talked to different people. There was a company that had, what is it? You know, that painted corn? Who is that from Montana? Uh, pink, uh, Chris, painted Mountain? Christensen. And they had a booth there and there was a young kid and he goes, oh, you need to talk to my dad. He's like over there. And so he pointed him out and what kind of shirt he had on. So I walked over there and I started talking to him and he laughed and he goes, oh, you need to talk to this guy. And here's this guy standing there that's got on robes and long hair, <laughs> long hair, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, I trust you. You're telling me who to talk to. So I started talking to this guy, his name is Joseph Lofthouse. I'd never heard of him before. And I'm telling my sad story about living in this cold place. He goes, oh, you need to grow. Baba beans. Baba beans. <laughs> and I'd never heard of them before. And he holds up this bottle. Oh, I should have brought some. He holds up this bottle. I've got purple and, and all these different Green. shapes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like really and he goes yes plan and he plant them as soon as you can get them in the ground i'm like they'll freeze he goes no i promise you they won't freeze they'll grow you're gonna like them and then he told me that he was from paradise and that i know paradise because i you know i spend time up there a lot and i can't believe that i'd never met joseph before but anyway i said okay i will and then i looked at his other seeds i bought a few other seeds from him and he had this book i said oh how how can i get a hold of you if i have a question because i don't know what i'm doing and he said all my contact information is in my book so i'm like all right i'm buying the book because this guy's pretty smart so i come home that night i read the book from cover to cover all the way through and it changed my life forever. in one night in one night <laughs> <laughs> i did i read the book and i'm just like okay this guy's smart and he can help me. And I didn't have a clue who Joseph Lofthouse was from, from anybody, but I, hi Shane. <laughs> so I was going up to Cache Valley to see my sister. And so I, I, well, after I read the book from cover to cover that night, I went and found him on Facebook and made a friend to him. And then, I don't know, it was a week or so. I was going up to see my sister with my mom and I, told him I was coming. Could I come and see his garden? Well, you know, he's this famous gardener that gardens in the cold. <laughs> and he's like, well, my garden's still covered with snow, but you come and see my greenhouse. So. Oh, I have to tell that story to people so many times. They'll call me in December and say, can I tour your garden? And I'm like, oh, there's six <laughs> foot of snow in my garden, but you can come and visit my greenhouse. <laughs> and it's frozen solid too, but you can visit. <laughs> it's true. I can't believe it's only been three years. It seems like forever. I mean, I feel like we've been friends forever, but so I went up and I told him I wanted to get a few more seeds. I went up and I saw his greenhouse and that was just so fun to see all the life in there. And he sent me home with some mustard and just things that I made a salad. I took a picture of it and put it on my Facebook page. That was like, in February. Yeah. So things are just starting to yeah. grow a little bit. And I it was it was so fun. And and he brought us it was February. And he had a table set up out on the front lawn. And he brought this plastic bin 
full of seeds and he just let me sit there and pick through them. But then after that, we've been visiting each other's garden ever since. But I have to tell you, the fava beans, I did plant them, like you said, and they grew. Ha! Right after the <laughs> snow. I mean, I couldn't believe it. They actually germinated and they grew. Now, I, I've gardened my whole life since as a kid, but it's just, you know, you buy the seeds and half the time they freeze and die or they, they don't germinate because I have since learned because they were created long ago and far away someplace in Missouri <laughs> but these fava beans came up and I would take a picture I'm like look you know like I'm so excited and Joseph's like yep those are fava beans <laughs> so I'll have to, I have to tell my story about fava beans the first time I grew fava beans the name says right in the name bean yeah and so what do you when do you plant beans you plant beans on the first week of June yeah because beans, you know, hot weather, they're going to freeze if the slightest little frost comes by. And so I planted my beans on the June 1st and they grew and they flowered and they were just these wonderful plants and they produced no seeds at all. And the aphids and the, the harvester aphid <laughs> ants came and lived on in the whole growing season and I got like zero because they're actually a cold weather crop. Uh, who, yeah, who would know who that would know. And who so, would know that beans are cold weather caught or... so when I decided to jump into this adventure I read the book Landrace Gardening it changed my life I'm like okay and this guy knows about it and he doesn't live very far from me so I'm gonna I'm gonna be his friend I will help him in his garden I will do whatever and I don't know why but he liked me <laughs> he helped me I bought seeds from him and then I would send him pictures and then all these father beans blossom they didn't get super tall. I mean, they were they were just about this tall when they started to blossom. What, like six inches tall? Yeah. And they got blossomed. Well, I had pink blossoms and black and white blossoms and all these different colors. So, some of the brown blossoms, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I took a picture of every color and I'd send them to him. I'm like, look, look, look. And he'd go, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's so bored of gardening, right? He's He's like, this is not even new stuff, but I was so excited he couldn't help himself. He didn't ha hadn't seen anyone so so enthusiastic. And and but he did warn me, he goes, they will, you know, they will turn black. The pods will turn black. It was a really good thing he told me that because because I was saving for seeds. I didn't want to eat that first year because I paid a lot of money for those seeds. And I wanted to get as many seeds as I could. So I mean I ate a couple pods is all I ate that first year because I wanted more seed and I, I don't know, I planted three ounces of seed and I got three pounds, mm -hmm. but those pods turned black. And I'm like, if I would have thought I would have thrown them away if you hadn't told me. And so that's, that's one of the things like in the book we're working in, we're going to give these little tips to people that you don't know some of this stuff until you actually experience it. But see, I'm, I was a genealogist for 30 years and I can just help you with that so easy but Joseph was a farmer for his whole life. So, you know, I've had a garden and I knew, you know, some things grew and some didn't, it was hit and miss. But I've learned in three years that I can actually control a little bit more of what actually makes it by being smart and understanding about local adaptation of agriculture to locally adapt the seed and, and then to see what happens. It's like so, so cool. So that is, that's our story of meeting and then becoming friends. And So Shane, 
Uh, glad to have you I here. I just woke up. The, the time's <laughs> all messed up. With, uh... yeah, no, that's all right. And I got a last minute uh, rescheduling last night for, is it Padraic Blood with the uh, Latheris Tuberosa? Oh, no, Taylor Chance. Yeah, he, he couldn't do Sunday. So okay. that's going to be on Wednesday. That's Tuesday for you. So I don't know how inconvenient it is for you to to get well, to a recording place. It don't matter. Well, well, I I have I have facilities in my home, so it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But... I'll I'll send you the details of the of the change. It would be nice for you to sit in because Taylor's working with mentor grafting. Is the person I know who's actually trained. Yeah. And and today I traveled to Holly's house, which is like eighty five miles from my home, and so so. 75 75 whatever <laughs> oh it had me going on a detour up to Jennifer yeah because her bridge is sometimes closed and sometimes oh open. that's why it would have been it's inconsistent <laughs> so so I have a question for you Joseph as we go are so, you done so also jump in Shane when when it's appropriate or when you want to oh of course yeah okay of course yeah, yeah. go ahead Holly so I want to know what led you down the seed swap path why did you, how did you get doing seed swaps? Because I'm sure glad you did. That was my first seed swap in my life ever, but I've had a lot since then. Well, so I ended up, oh, I was just a market farmer and the heirloom seeds wouldn't grow for me. The hybrid seeds wouldn't grow for me because the heirlooms are things that were designed for far away and long ago. The hybrids are designed that they have to have agricultural uh, fertilizers and pesticides in order for them to grow and so basically I didn't have any way really to grow food for myself as a market farmer if I didn't want to uh, poison my customers and myself and so I had to start growing my own seeds and if I'm growing my own seeds plants are abundant mm -hmm. not just a little bit abundant they are tremendously abundant and so I had just this tremendous amount of seed that more than I could ever plant. And so you have to say, what can I do with this seed? Well, I share it with my community. And so that's right. how I got into, into seed sharing. And I guess I never looked back. <laughs> yeah, well, it was awesome. And then last year we did a seed swap here in Croydon. Mm -hmm. And a few of my friends came and they all planted the seeds and they had great success because they were our seeds. Right. They were. they were, it was the first time, like that first year I grew, you know, I got some seeds from you and I have saved seeds like from squash and a few really easy plants over the years that were just in our family. Mm -hmm. They didn't know I was doing anything special. They always grew for me, but that's why <laughs> I didn't know that was why they grew so well is because they were already locally adapted. But then we had our little seed swap. So we'd been friends a whole year. We had our little seed swap in, here in Croydon. And all those people grew and were able to give seeds back to me. Oh, nice. And um, then we did our last fall, mm -hmm. our, our paradise. Our garden party at my yeah, farm. Yeah, talk about that. Oh. That turned out so lovely. So we took a tour of my garden and I got to show off like maybe only 50 of the 100 species that I grow or whatever. And people, we did it by Zoom. So people from outside could ask questions and that was lovely because because they asked different kind of questions than the people that are actually in the garden and then we went over to the nearby park and had a beautiful uh picnic together 
and did a seed share and so it was lovely. The garden party was fun because everybody brought seeds and we just shared. We didn't even charge money or anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of fun to get free seeds from everybody and give them back. Mm -hmm. It was fun. I was I like that. It was small, but it's worth it's worth going to these seed swaps, I think. I've really enjoyed those kinds of seed swaps over the years. Just post on Facebook that I'm going to be in the park at noon on Saturday and come trade seeds with me. <laughs> so that's fun. We're doing one next month, right? Kind of with a group that called us. They somebody yeah. somebody heard. <laughs> well, I talk a lot when at, when I have fun. I think everyone should do it because it's so fun. So I'm always telling everybody how much fun I have. Oh, and I had Joseph come down because he does yoga. And he came and we did a yoga party under the trees in my yard. And we had a pretty good crowd come. And anyway, I have fun. I think everyone should do what I do because it's so exciting and fun. And then they asked me questions. Well, some, you know, I'm talking about a garden in this little group over in Hannaford. It's this mom group. They get together once a month and do something fun. And they called and said, would you come and talk about gardening? <laughs> I'm like, we should probably do it in February. So you're ready by the time uh, it's time to plant things. And so Joseph's coming. The two of us are going to go to Hannaford and talk to this mom group. I don't know. It should be fun there. I saved some seeds for them. <laughs> I did too. So so that will be fun. So we just do things on this. That's the thing about Joseph and I, that we, we're totally different, but we have so much in common, like spur of the moment. Yeah, I can do it. No, I can't. It's fine. Whatever. You know, we just, and we're not that far apart if we want to do something. Oh, while, while we're on the topic of seed swaps, the Going to Seed Landry Seed Share is coming up in February. The one in Ogden? Where no, the, the Going to Seed Oh, swaps. ours, ours. Yeah. yeah. So basically what we did for that is we combined, like this is my lifelong fantasy about how to distribute Landry seeds. And that is... Our people grew out all these varieties of seeds in all kinds of different ecosystems. And we sent them all to a seed steward. And the seed steward took them and decided what was going in where and recombined them. And then we're sending that out for the maximum amount of genetic diversity that we can possibly we can share with people. And and that's been like my, my heart longing for like, 10 15 years kind of thing and so going to seed is actually doing that and facilitating it and i feel so satisfied and content that that's happening i think it's so cool and all of you that are watching this pod for the first time and you've never really done land race or didn't know about it realize you're just like me you get the advantage of all the hard learning that went on for Joseph for his lifetime, 15 years, and now we have access to these seeds. And so we don't have to spend 15 years figuring it out. We'll just plant the seeds. You order them and just plant them. And what grows, save seeds from, and what dies you didn't want anyway. Right. I love that. It made me so free. <laughs> it made me so free from if something died going, oh, what did I do wrong? How can I, like this has a bent stem, let's prop it up and try to fix it. And just say, oh, you didn't want to grow here. Rip it out and throw it away. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so so the one thing that I have really noticed in my life is people buy seeds, the heirlooms, the hybrids, you know, from far away and long ago or that require chemicals. 
and they plant them in their garden and they don't grow. And then who's to blame for that? The gardener. It's the gardener's fault. Yeah. I did something bad. Ah, uh, you know, and I, I finally became aware of that when when my neighbors were saying, how can you get away with irrigating only once a week? I have to irrigate every day and my stuff still dies. And I'm like, well, where are you getting your seeds from? Oh, from Oregon. And it's like Oregon that's damp. It's always raining. It's always cold. It's always high humidity. And you get them up here into the desert where it's 100 degrees. It's no wonder they die because they're totally, you know, the wrong ecosystem where those seeds were grown. Yeah. And and so if we grow, you know, our local seeds, then we can really expect them to do well because they did well previously. Yeah. So one of the things that happened to me, I read that book and I believed it. I read that Landrace Gardening book and I, I believed it. And I'd never read anything like it before. And so I decided I like kale. I've tried to grow kale. It doesn't do very good for me. But I had bought these seeds from that Snake River Cooperative. This is a part I didn't tell you before. It's hilarious. So I go through these <laughs> seeds that I had bought after I get home and I'm looking at what I bought. And I read the book and I thought, gee, I wonder if I wasted my money on these. Every one of them was from Joseph Lawhouse collection. <laughs> so the back of the seed, when it tells about, I was smart enough to recognize, hey, those will grow in my climate. Those will grow in my climate. Well, why? Because I was buying them from somebody who had actually grown them in my climate. And so... I had all these different kale seeds because I've tried growing them, but I I thought, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to land race my kale because that would be something I could try. And I had this mix of cold weather kale. So it was all, it was already a land race, right? So I planted that in the ground. Did you get that from me? No, I bought it from Snake River oh. because I didn't, I, I bought that before I met you that day. Okay. I bought like five packages of seeds. What is hilarious about that was every one of them had loft house on. Didn't mean anything to me at the time. I didn't I didn't know what that, you know, so who cares? He's that's the grower. Okay. But I didn't understand how important that I mean, and my 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 historical research uh background has has just put me in hyper overdrive with gardening because I can I have been able to grow stuff that I wouldn't all my life I didn't think I could grow. I've tried. I would try things once in a while and they never they didn't make it, but I didn't know about land race and, and adaptation agriculture. So, so I planted five different packages of seeds. Go ahead. I planted five different packages of seeds. I did one row at 70 feet long. Can you imagine planting 70 feet of kale? But I planted each package in a little section and it took up the whole 70 feet and all the kale came up, but this one, this one. Oh, come on. Why do I need to get the word I talked to Joseph. I'm like, Joseph, all the kale come up at this one package. And he goes, Isn't now you know that it wasn't your fault. So that was what nailed to me and drove home how come some seeds don't grow in our garden. And if I hadn't planted all those different varieties, and some just thrived and did so good, and some just languished, didn't do very good at all. But one whole section, not one seed germinated. Mm -hmm. And it probably wasn't a bad seed it was probably my soil my climate my and it wasn't because I was a bad farmer because I treated organisms yeah <laughs> I treated them all the same and just that one type of kale didn't not even one plant germinated so that really taught me a lot so Joseph thank you for being my mentor sure and thank you for everyone that you help and I learned a lot from I'll go do searches on google 
for Joseph Lofthouse. And then I'll see all these people who talk about his stuff. <laughs> I've met a lot of really great farmers just because they talk about Joseph and he's inspired so many people. I really feel so happy that I made that I that I just stepped out of my comfort zone and walked in that school that day because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't very happy when when Kim stiffed me. <laughs> so okay, Joseph, talk tell me about the conditions and how you can increase product productivity. How's your how do you do that really? Talk about the space that you grow things in. How much so I I currently grow on three quarters of an acre of lake bottom. So it's kind of a clayish soil. It really holds on to the fertility well because well technically it's silt, a silty loam. So it holds on to the fertility well because it has lots of whatever chemicals hold on to chemicals. <laughs> micro micro no, microorganisms. It, it, it's about the clay content. Okay. And it holds onto the water well because that's just what clay soils do. And anyway, so, I, but my main thing about my growing conditions is I grow up in a high elevation mountain desert. And so the, the days are blazing hot. The nights are super cool because of the radiant cooling and the cold air that comes down out of the mountains. And my warm weather growing season is about hundred days. Some years it's as short as like 85 or we might go 110, but very short growing season. And so, you know, I have a really hard time growing any warm weather crop that the seed companies would offer me just because they need 110 days or, or 130 or 140, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so it just, and when I started, like the first time I planted machada squash, like the butternuts, I planted like maybe 10 or 15 varieties of butternut squash. Less than 25% of them even produced the fruit. Wow. And the fruits that they did produce were green fruits. They hadn't matured by the end of the growing season, but I still saved them, replanted the seeds. My growing season that year was 85 days long. And then the second year after that, I had an 84-day growing season, like the third year. And that was okay because that selected for super short season butternuts. And now I can grow butternuts every year, regardless of what the weather does, just because the, the ecosystem has selected for, you know, the ecosystem did that selection yeah, the, for well, me. And the, the seeds... They leave little messages. Well, yes, and it's the, the mother plant leaves little messages for the. It's much seed. easier for me to change the genetics of a plant than it is for me to change my soil, change my climate, change my habits as a farmer. Mm. You know, the seeds know how to do all of that stuff without me. You know, getting all spending all this money and doing all kinds of stuff. Talk about weeds, and then you can ask me about bindweed. <laughs> huh. So I was, as a market farmer, I was growing carrots. And I was always losing my carrot crop because they would get overtaken by weeds. Because you plant the carrots, and like three weeks later, these little tiny plants will germinate. And maybe, you know, and by then the weeds are already 
six inches tall by the time your carrots germinate. And it and so I was always losing my carrot crops. And I decided I'm not going to weed my carrots. I'm just going to plant a big batch of carrots. And whatever survives, I'll save seeds from. So I did that the first year. And I got a few carrots that were about the size of my pinky, my pinky finger. Wow. And I did that the second generation. Ooh, I got some that were about the size of my index finger. But then the third year, I says, okay, now we've selected for carrots that can compete with the weeds. And so that third year, I planted the carrots and I weeded them one time. And they had, they produced fruit, or not fruits, what do they call them? Tubers, roots, that were like three pounds, five pounds. A and carrot? They, yes. <laughs> one one carrot. And they... And of course, because it's me, they were purple and yellow and red and orange and, you know, just all these beautiful colors. And, but the leaves on them were like these 18 inches long and they were these wow. big rambunctious leaves. And so. I'm going to have to work on carrots this year. So I pretty much adopt, adopted that strategy for all of the crops that I grow that I'm going to do the bare minimum weeding that I can possibly do to get by. And the beans are one that did particularly well with that treatment. And, and so my beans, I don't even have to weed anymore, and they still produce a wonderful crop. But yeah, and if I, if I do my, if I plant my corn on just the right day of the year, it can really jump out of the ground and way out compete the weeds. And so what's that day? What's what's the like? It's about May twenty, more or less. And you're waiting for a warm, <laughs> sunny day to put them in the ground. Yeah, because then they jump out of the ground in three days and they take off and really out. Yeah. Do you soak your corn seed, or do you just put it in dry? I don't soak it. It would probably germinate quicker if I soaked it overnight. But you have to, if you soak seed, you have to work not over soak it because it can suffocate in the water. Okay. All right. So, so my tell garden, me about your bindweed. Yeah, my garden likes bindweed, Morning Glory, and it grows so good. And I've, I've fought it my whole life. There's this gardener in the UK. He says, if you pull it consistently in three years, you can get rid of it. Well, I can't pull it consistently enough. <laughs> but it, it reproduces by seed. It reproduces by root. You can drop one leaf on the ground and it'll make a root, you know. And I one day thought, the creator had a reason for this. And then I went and did a deep dive on bindweed and find out that it talks to each other down the line. And if there's pests and things, it sends a message. So all the other little plants around it can can benefit from these microbiome messages that go up and down the bindweed. Huh. And so I, I still pull it because I don't want it like starving my plants out, but I leave a little bit in there and I have found it, you know, as I pull, I wait till it gets a little bit bigger. And then when I pull, I can just pull whole bunches at a time and I, I compost it or I feed it to the chickens and it leaves little air holes. So my plants can get air and the water goes in better. I have just found that it's like one of my best friends. And I, I, you know, it's like I said, I, gardening can be a lonely thing, but bindweed keeps you company <laughs> and you've always got something to do. Are you asking a question? You're mute. You're muted. Excuse me. Um, have you ever thought the bindweed is a suggestion another plant in that family could be a good crop like sweet potatoes? 
Well, I, I, I've been reading about that and sweet potatoes. Okay, I have to see. I have a 52 day growing season that I can count on. That's mm. so short. So I'm like, mm. yeah, I think we could do something. But so I haven't figured out how quite to do that yet. I did, I have been growing sweet potatoes and they get this big, just like just a little one bite. <laughs> Are they the seed grown ones from Reed? I just, they're like Georgia Jet. I planted several different varieties and the Georgia Jet I could get to grow. But Joseph's mom gets so, sweet potatoes to grow, but she buys her slip summer. I don't know where she gets them from. So Mark Reed and I collaborated on sweet potatoes for a long time, and we found sweet potatoes that were day neutral. So they would mm. start flowering as soon as they started growing. And that was a beautiful population, and I was making progress on it. But it's, I have to overwinter the sweet potatoes and my overwintering skills were not as good as they need to be. And mm. so, so I eventually lost that project, but it had, it had potential. Yeah. I think mm. the, the now Joseph and I live in the same ecosystem pretty much. Um, but he, his warm days start a little earlier and last a little longer. So he has a longer yeah. growing season than I do, but, um, what's your elevation here? You know, same as Denver, mile high. Okay, so you're about <laughs> hundred feet higher than I am, then. Yeah. Plus, closer to the mountains. Five thousand and something feet, yeah. And so, I'm trying that. But bindweed does well. But you don't have that problem with bindweed like I do. Well, I have a tremendous bindweed problem, but I pretty much ignore it. Okay. I I figure if I if I pull the bindweed once, like in middle of June then I can ignore it the rest of the growing season. Mine's like green carpet. No, it just loves, <laughs> it just loves to fill out. And, and so I, but I will just, depending on the stage of the plants that I'm growing, I will protect them from it. And then once they get so big, I don't worry. I don't worry about it as much, but if the chickens are hungry, I just go out there and pull it up and, and I, and it, and compost and beautiful, beautiful. Every plant is useful if you use it. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's edible. You could you can eat it. Well, I hear that the seeds are hallucinogenic. Oh, we should try some. <laughs> yeah, I had henbane in my garden last year. Oh yeah, did you feed I, that to your poor chickens? I don't know what I did with it. I did a I like man, that's so pretty. It looks like a cabbage kind of ornamental, and so I so I studied it out, found out it was henbane, and then I read all this stuff about henbane. And I, I remember asking you if you knew what it was. And she goes, he goes, no, but it's got to be bad for chickens. <laughs> <laughs> but I just pulled it all out because I found out it was a hallucinogenic and I didn't want it. And it is invasive. So I thought, well, I only had one. I better get rid of it. So I don't know what I actually did with it. I can't remember. It's kind of fun to learn stuff. Poison is just how much you take. Right? And it does. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe... It, it's a good healing because I'm really into uh, herbs and healing medicinal plants. That's one of the things that I've been working on for years. And um, mostly I forage for medicinal plants in my area. And since I learned about Landrace, I've been introducing a lot more into my, my own garden area and my, my backyard, my food forest. And so it's really, really fun. And so you just, it's just exciting to see. Okay. So pests. What's your biggest pest challenge? So I I have a 
mostly I don't have pest problems in my garden because my plants I've grown without pesticides for like 15 years. And so the plants have learned how to coexist with the pests and I never poison my ecosystem. So the predator, the predator insects are right there along with the pesty insects. One, the only pest problem I really have is I would like to be able to direct seed tomatoes. And I've had a really hard time with that because I have a little solanum flea beetle that oh, yeah. eats the tomato seedlings as soon as they, yeah. as soon as they germinate. And I've been two years in a row now, I've grown a generation that survived those beetles. But I, I only have like, you know, small amounts of seed. And so it kind of is a tough project, but eventually that might, I might be able to direct seed tomatoes and then, then I would have no pest problems in my garden. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. When I did those potato, true, true seed potatoes, and I, I started them in a greenhouse and got them a couple inches tall and then I transplanted them into my garden. And the next day there was just a skeleton of leaves on all of them. And I remember taking the picture and you go, oh, that's a flea beetle. <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do? Nothing. If it lives, great. If it dies, you didn't want it anyway. And so I just, I just watered them and some have made it. So that was, you know, I was, that's, I'd never seen that before. That was crazy, but all right. So I believe in goals. Like if you set a goal, then you actually do something usually. If you just kind of, I know, like you might, I don't know. Do you write them down? You used to write notebooks and then you quit one day. Yeah. Is that true? Well, so I was working in my garden one day. See, I came out of a chemistry background. And so you kept notes and, and I was keeping notes the same way in my garden as I was in the chemistry lab. What I planted, how many seeds, where I planted it, a map of the garden, blah, blah, what I hoped for, blah, 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 blah. And one day I realized that I had spent more time record keeping that day than I had actually doing any gardening. And I'm like, I am done with the record keeping. And I kind of went to the other extreme where I keep no records now. And there'd be a little happy place if I kept just a few records, like a plant, what I planted and, and where. Yeah. So I had a planting map maybe. but And I had like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of seed packets. One seed packet for each parent plant. So just, and I'm like, when I stopped keeping records, I started dumping all of those parent varieties into the same jar, and it really simplified my gardening. And I do still keep a, if a plant is like fantastic for whatever reason, then I will, I will save that separate. But for the most part, everything goes into the same jar, even, you know, so I have basically one species per jar now or one jar per species, and that's a, much easier for me to work with. I know you you told me that, and I, I went through all my, I had all these seeds organized, you know, <laughs> genealogist, disease, I had everything, and it's perfect, perfect. I wish I'd taken a picture of it, but I sat down this one day, I'm like, all right, if I'm going to do land race, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but I opened those seeds, and I dumped them, and I shook them up, and, and, <laughs> And I planted them. That 
freedom. And guess what? Some things grew and I don't know, you know, there was a, there was this, I know it had to be a cucumber, it tasted like a cucumber. And it was this big, fat, round, teardrop shaped cucumber. And I showed it to Joseph. He goes, that's a, that's a melon. I'm like, it tastes like a cucumber. <laughs> but I don't know. I saved seeds from it, but I have no, it tastes like it was delicious. But it tasted like a cucumber, but it did look like a melon. But I don't know. I've never seen one. You'd never seen one before either, did you? Yeah, so you never know what you're going to grow when you do some of these weird things, but they cross and things are delicious. So as long as the plants know what their name is, then it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So you want to lead us through some bonus round questions, Shane? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Let's get this up. We're coming up. On I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, okay. So if you could wave a wand and create any crop species that you wanted, what would you do? Go ahead, Holly. Okay. I want grains and chickpeas that I can grow it and then just take a paper bag and go like this and have all the seed drop out. Like a poppy. Like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to winnow or anything. I can just shake it right into the bag. That's what I'd like. So if I could work wonders with any species, I would would really like to resolve the promiscuous tomato project and get that so that I have 100% outcrossing on the tomatoes and a really genetically diverse population that tasted fruity and tropical, like a mango or, you know, just a, a really beautiful tomato like that. Oh, it sounds like you're well on your way to getting that goal. Well, I wish that I would have known 15 years ago when I started that project, what I do now about genetic diversity and, you know, all this stuff. And I really ought to write down one of these days how I would do the project if I were to start over again, because <laughs> some young gardener somewhere is bound to want to re recreate the project. And it would be a, a blessing to them if I actually wrote down the lessons learned. Well, I'm guessing you're talking about the idea that if you just look at the heirlooms that are commonly available, it, like you still have to look for them. There, there's a lot of interesting genetics in there, but if you go back to the original wild species, uh -huh. there's like a hundred times more that was lost exactly. during those first domestications. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> and and yes, I've I've started the ball moving, and then I've given people the idea that it can be done, but I have a lot of stuff inside of me that I've never shared. And it would be nice to to get that done sooner rather than later. I'm sure you've got at least a few more books in you. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to share everything because you got so much. You know, and I'm always asking these bazillion questions. So we're working on this book, right? And I text him, he just spews stuff out of his head, you know, I'm like, all right. And then I go typing in the book. So I'm doing all the typing. <laughs> I'm asking all the questions, doing all the typing. And I just ask, you know, once in a while, he'll say, I don't know. I'm like, dang. You know, because I never grew that. It doesn't do well in my garden. <laughs> so then we have to go ask some other expert for information because we're trying to make the book so that it's helpful, not just to the high mountain desert of Utah, but more, more general than that. So. Okay, next bonus around question. What's your vision for the future of food in your community? So 
my vision or what I would like to see for the future of food in my community is more people eating more local food more of the time and more local food that is like whole food instead of glops and pastes that we don't really know what what people are eating i think if we ate more more local food that we could identify by species that we'd be a lot healthier yeah yeah and i want in my little my little community i've been working on it last night we had a party at my house and it was all sourdough stuff made from natural yeast we had cornbread and spelt this honey hawthorn biscuits <laughs> and white bread and miso soup with beans in it just everything was something that was fermented a fermented thing and when everyone left they wanted all the recipes that was cool uh -huh. and these are the same people who came to our seed swap and so we've shared seeds so that's the future this has never happened before in my little community and i want to see us do more of that we share the seeds we grow and you know, it's like Joseph loves the whole, the tomato project. I love these squash things that I grow. I just love them. And I, I love the fava beans because I, I love beans and I can't really, it's hard to grow beans. I've, I've found two varieties of beans that I can grow fava beans and these Italian beans that I, that I could get them to cross with other beans because they blossomed and they cross with a pole bean and these Italian beans would grow their flat beans, their fat. They would grow and be ready to eat before my other beans even had a pot on them. But my mom's garden is, I don't know, a football field away. And we had pole beans, blue bush pole beans she had grown there. And the second year I saved the seeds and I planted them because I'm trying this thing. And they all were the flat beans and they came out really super early. And I'm like, oh, now I can grow flat beans on a pole. <laughs> and they actually make it and develop and they're really they're they're uh prosperous i mean they grow a lot and so so my future is like just sharing with each other and we each are going to have discoveries and you know i mean joseph pointed out to me the first year that i had a garden the things that were genetically diverse that i didn't need like i had him come and just walk through and he's like oh i have these three boysenberry plants he goes oh this one's this one's spineless <laughs> i didn't know that you know i wasn't i and but my awareness of things has increased a thousand percent just by a few little things that you've noticed then I go oh I could be looking for that I didn't know to even look for that so it's like going to the grocery store and looking at ingredients on labels if you don't look you don't know but once you know then oh that's really easy you can say oh so that's been fun so that's my my wish for the future is sharing plants and herbs and recipes and what about the the question about how you passed on your crop breeding work to future genetics? Well, we're writing a book. <laughs> we're writing a book. And it has it has planting and harvesting and seed saving data for multiple plants. And that's that's the best way I know what to do is like with my grandchildren, bring them into the garden, let them help and show them things to hands on. That's how I learned a lot of things about the wild. Because my grandma used to take me out there and we'd pick elderberries and choke cherries and we'd save sap, well, actually resin from certain kind of pine trees that you could make sap with. And so I learned all those wild crafting things from my grandmother, but the garden, here I am at this stage of my life, just learn. It's so exciting. It's never too late to learn. And I'm 
So I'm this uh, person that's been doing a lot of things for a long time, but being aware and intentional in my garden is new to me. So that's- I, I just had a thought, like Landrace style gardening is probably much more fun for children compared to the conventional form where it's all of this like strict hard work, which often fails, like uh -huh. often parents start with children forever but landrace gardening because the i don't know the, the the regimentation and the the drudge work can be cut down and there's more exploration and discovery and it does and even when you're successful with a conventional garden it's just the same every year it gets boring even if you yield from doing all of that whereas with land racing there, there's something new to look forward to every year yeah, I have a granddaughter that lives close by. Now, all my grandkids love to come in the garden, and their favorite thing is the peas, when the peas come on, right? That's their their favorite. But I have a granddaughter. She's going to be turning 18. But she has come and helped me weed over the years. And when when I started this whole land thing, she got super excited about it. And she's taken all my seeds last year, planted them in her garden. She had a better garden than I did. <laughs> a natural with it. And and she just, just from sharing those things, and they love it. And then her her little brother would not eat tomatoes. He hates tomatoes. They're terrible. So she said, okay, Cal, you're going to plant tomatoes. And I'm like, oh, you're going to plant tomatoes, Cal. And it was his job to weed that tomato plant and take care of it. And he ate the tomatoes. Wow. <laughs> because it was his plant. He was responsible and he kept it alive and it produced really well. Yeah. When I think about passing my work on to future generations, I've gained a bit of celebrity in the last few years, which gives me a a way to talk to people that I never had before. And I take that super seriously. It's like, how do I, how do I support my people? How do I, I really help people to learn to not be afraid of the garden. And, and so I think about that, you know, all the time, how can I, how can I support, encourage? It's getting harder and harder for me to do the physical labor. And and so I have to to really, you, you know, because I'm still being torn between feeding my my family and 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 teaching my community. And so so I hope to get better at at supporting the the young kids that can actually do the growing. Looking at lessons in history, Luther Burbank was a celebrity in his time, but he got almost completely forgotten. Like the, it's uh, it's it's weirdos like us who have dug up his work and gone, how did we not know about this? Right. Um. Uh, Fuka is a really uh, good example of someone who was quite famous in his time, and he died thinking he was a complete failure. Like the, the if, if you dig into his his full life story towards the end of his life, he was very depressed that he'd done all of that outreach and nobody had gotten his very esoteric message which right. even people who work directly with him yes, miss the point awesome. of what he was doing but i think you're on track to have a much bigger positive enduring impact because you're, you're being very thoughtful about the way that you approach it so i, I have a hero bill mcdormand he ran a seed, ran seed companies for 40 years and was involved in you know all these activities and and he's really a super supporter of, of me and he tells me how important my work is and I believe him and <laughs> it's like 
you know, how do you take this this mantle that's been put on you by your hero and send it out into the world? And so, so I'm working on that. <laughs> and a final message to people who are thinking of getting into crop breeding themselves. Just do it. It's super easy. And all those things that people have told you that you can't do because, 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 just forget about it. Just save seeds and and things will work out just fine. Save the seeds, save the plants that grow good and resist eating the first uh, tomato. <laughs> it's okay if you do, but if you save the seed from it, I'll, actually with the tomato, you could eat it and save some of the seeds. So just, yeah, do it. I was always, my dad always told me, you can't do that with seed saving. I don't know why I believed that because he, he set me free on so many things. He goes, you do anything you want if you want to do it bad enough. But with, with the garden, he would say, that's not going to work, sister. And when I met Joseph, he's like, oh, yeah, just do it. And I when I put all those seeds in one bottle, <laughs> that changed my life. <laughs> it did. And so I have, I, I have, a, I don't have 100 species yet, but I have quite a few. And this year with the, with the going to seed, I was, I, I volunteered to be the Allium seed steward. And I went out on the mountain and gathered wild onion seed and I grew potato onions I I you know I had grown them previously but I saved the seed I was able to get quite a lot of seed to share with with the going to seed and I want people to know if they get those wild onion seeds if you're lucky enough to get any of them they should be about a thousand dollars an ounce <laughs> <laughs> they were a lot of work and many days on that mountain to get those seeds but I think it would be fun if we could get them grown in our own garden amazing genetics and the blossoms are they just i mean i've always just gone up there and picked a bag full of blossoms and bring them home and eat them on my salads because they're so delicious but i never thought about saving the seeds before until i became a seed steward so i wanted some diversity so anyway thank you so much for being with us today and we'll be back this year we're doing our podcast on the fourth saturday at noon mountain time whether it's daylight savings or standard depends on if it's daylight savings or standard but but whatever the the Utah time is, that's 12 noon on the fourth Saturday. And we'll be here. We look forward to spending time with all of you. To remind people where they can read more about your work or maybe reach out to get in touch, where, where are the best channels for, so for people who are a bit new? We're, we're recommending going to seed.org because we both have accounts there. And... That's where we spend a lot of our time. Going to Seed also has a discourse group, but you can get that. You can get to the discourse group from the Going to Seed main page. Also, you can get the Landrace Seeds share seeds from goingtoseed.org as well. Yeah, I will highly recommend the discourse forum. It's it's very active and it's full of all sorts of people at all sorts of levels of expertise. And if you put a a question up on a, on a new project that you're thinking of doing, you'll get all sorts of amazing feedback. It'll save you potentially years of going down oh, yeah. blind alleys. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay, we're going to stop the recording now. Look forward to seeing everybody again next month.